The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this evening comes from Luke 6, 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, church family, how we doing? Good to see you. If we haven't met before, my name is Garrison. I'm on our leadership team. Uh, Glad to be with you all tonight. If you have a Bible, you can flip over to Luke chapter 6, where we just were. We'll be uh, picking up in verse 27. It's going to take us a little bit to get there, so just bear with me. Um, If you're hopping in with us uh, for the first time, you're actually catching us in the back half of our fall series where we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, We've we've kind of been uh, setting it up as the fruit of the Spirit in the time of the flesh. So as a church, we've been building out our discipleship framework throughout this series as we talk about what it looks like for Christians uh, to become like Jesus. Our goal each week has been to look at each of the fruit of the Spirit and to see that it's actually displayed in uh, the life and in the teachings of Jesus. Kind of our big idea is in in order for us to cultivate it, we need to see it. Um, Tonight we're going to be looking at the fruit of kindness, and really kindness in a time of bitterness. So let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father God, we are thankful to get to gather uh, tonight. We thank you for the gospel We thank you that because of what you've done for us, Jesus, that we get to be a people, we get to be here together. Um, We pray that you would move in us, confess that uh, bitterness and kindness, uh, they're not what we expect and can be difficult topics to talk about. So pray that you would be with us tonight. Pray it all in your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's start with bitterness. Bitterness can be defined as resentment, anger, and disappointment over being hurt or treated unfairly. You're going to hear me talk about things like resentment, anger, disappointment, unforgiveness a good bit tonight, and it's because they're all fruits and symptoms of the same thing, and that's bitterness. But the most important part of this definition I want you to get is the last part, about being hurt or treated unfairly. For anything I'm going to talk about tonight to make sense, we have to be on the same page about this one thing. We're all going to experience relational hurt. We're all going to experience mistreatment. People will hurt us. They may say untrue things about you. They may say true things without compassion. God forbid we may be abused or neglected. Friends uh, may turn their back on you. That's not me being cynical. That's not me being a negative Nancy. That, that is part of what the Bible talks about. That we're actually all sinners. That you're surrounded right now. And there's actually billions in the world. 
It's a really difficult thing that the Bible talks about, is that we, we may have enemies. We will be hurt by people. And the one thing we have to know is that we have two responses when it comes to hurt. And bitterness is our response, our default response, to relational hurt apart from God. Bitterness is our default mode of dealing with hurt apart from God. So bitterness, uh, it, it kind of unfolds in a story a lot of the time. It happens through a process. And the first part of the process is there's an action. There's an action taken that's hurtful. And this can look a lot of different ways. The type of hurt can vary. It can be perceived. It can be a misunderstanding. It can be big. It can be small. If you've dealt with relational hurt, you know that it can be complicated at times. There's a range. Maybe it's a spouse who says that thing in that condescending tone with the eye roll a couple too many times. Maybe it's a friend who forgets about hanging out with you when you had it on your calendar or forgets to invite you to a hangout. Maybe it's a close friend or somebody in your community who makes a pointed comment about a weakness or an insecurity. Those are the smaller things, but it can be bigger. It can be fallout. Insults, yelling mashes, possibly even abuse, a friend or a leader who sins against you or fails you, a, a family member who just will not respect your life choices. Sometimes uh, we can even be bitter because somebody's bitter with us. It can look a bunch of different ways, but either way, the hurt happens. And then we try to respond. We struggle to let it go. We struggle to forgive. We uh, rerun the situation in our minds. I've talked about this before, but we have these anger fantasies. We're like, did they really say that? What kind of person would say that? What if I would have said this? That really would have put them in their place. What happens is we're trying to resolve the hurt, but really what we're doing is we're fueling it. The hurt grows. We get angry, more angry. We try to talk about it maybe. But really what, what happens a lot of times is we say, well, it's their fault. So they should be the ones resolving it. This isn't about me. Whatever the cause, we get angry and we struggle to forgive. We grow resentful and lastly, it festers and it turns into bitterness. I love how one psychologist says it. He says, bitterness is unforgiveness fermented. Bitterness is unforgiveness fermented. When we get hurt, we have to figure out how to respond. There has to be an action taken past the action that hurt us. And we live in a culture of bitterness. And it actually pushes us towards a bitter response. This can play out a few different ways. Maybe, uh, maybe it's by uh, labeling the person as toxic. Because if you do that, it means that you can cut them off and do whatever you want. Maybe it's by canceling on a larger stage. Or we don't have a lot of grace for people if they mess up. We don't have them on a long leash. Or maybe it's uh, more of the Christian frame on it where we say things like, I'll forgive you, but we're not going to be reconciled. This is all bitterness. And what we do is we respond by withholding mercy. Withhold mercy. And there's a bunch of different ways that plays out. I think this framework is becoming so common in our culture that uh, last year an article actually was pu uh, published in the New York Times. And it's, it's called this. I think it's pretty funny but sad. It says, I quit friendships regularly. Telling someone you don't want to be friends anymore can be awkward. So don't. Don't tell them. In this article, uh, the author Mariah Smith, she talks about whenever a friend uh, and her disagree or uh, they say something that's hurtful, she just ghosts them. Just cuts them off completely. 
Her relationships are so fragile that this is her response. What she does, and it's so petty and sad, but kind of funny and not a funny way, she'll uh, invite them to go out to dinner one last time. She won't tell them anything is wrong, and she'll call it the Last Supper. And then afterwards, she's just out. Unrelated, I'm not available for dinner this week, so ask somebody else. Um, thankfully, I've yet to hear that happen uh, in, our, in our church, or really anywhere, but I, but I do know some of our stories well enough to know that there have been in a lot of times where bitterness has hurt you, uh, has crushed a relationship, that you've lost a friendship because of bitterness. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, one of my best friends decided it would be better if we weren't best friends anymore. Um, there was a really complicated situation he was involved with. He was hurting. Uh, me and a few friends tried to step in and help him. We'd never dealt with it. I've never seen something like it since. There's a lot of things I would have changed about it. But over the course of trying to help him, we, we really grew apart. And we went from you know living together, talking every day, to probably having one conversation every month. So me and a couple friends, we sat him down and we just asked, like, what, what is going on? I don't know what... what Something feels off here. And I kid you not, it was like I was talking to a complete stranger. It was just like he had turned a 180, and there's, there, there was such a deep negative lens of everything we had tried to do to help him, and he just rained fire on us. It was really hard. It was really painful to hear, and it was so uh, intense that actually we, we asked him, hey, I've do you hate us? Do you hate us? And he just started weeping. And it was this horrible moment of confirmation that we, we just lo- had lost. That bitterness had just ruined our friendship. We've never recovered. We tried for years to try to reconcile with him and just nothing. And I would like to tell you that our response was like, you know, we'll just take that one. We love him. We pray. But no, bitterness hurt us as well. It took over our perception of him. It's sad. Many times bitterness wins out, even in the family of God. We think that in our bitterness, our our response is uh, to get rid of the person, that that will solve it. But really, we're stuck. Withholding mercy just results in more bitterness. We end up right back where we started. Um, Another way that we deal with our bitterness is, uh, is not by withholding mercy, but by being nice. But putting on a smile. It's when we dress up our bitterness and our resentment with a smile. This is a, a huge one in the church. It's a huge one in the South, where uh, maybe, maybe you don't say this, maybe it was your grandma. But we'll think really poorly of somebody, and, and the way that we'll respond is by, you know, bless their heart, being really nice. The way I see it play out more with, with us, people under 40 or so, is we'll talk about people behind their back and we'll say, you know, I'm really concerned about them. I'm really concerned. Did you hear? We need to be praying. We're being nice, but we're actually gossiping. I, I had a friend, um, we were talking about it this week. Uh, she said she had a family friend growing up that uh, whenever uh, they, they came across somebody they really didn't like, that they would uh, intentionally go to them and say, you know, I really like your hair today. It's that type of thing. It's the petty, fake, external mercy. We, we think we're being nice. We think we're being kind, but we're actually not loving anyone. Niceness is tricky. We tend to mistake it for kindness, but they are different. 
Being nice can't go as far as kindness. Kindness or niceness is conditional. It can actually coexist with bitterness. Being nice, uh, it's just waking up on the right side of the bed, getting your eight hours, coming back from vacation. You're just feeling good. You're just happy. So of course, of course I'm loving to other people. Anyone can be nice and anyone can mistake themselves for being kind. This is how C.S. Lewis said it. says the real trouble is that kindness is a quality fatally easy to attribute to ourselves on quite inadequate grounds. Everyone feels benevolent if nothing happens to be annoying him at the moment. Thus a man easily comes to console himself for all his other vices by a conviction that, you know, his heart's in the right place. And he wouldn't hurt a fly, though in fact he has never made the slightest sacrifice for a fellow creature. We fake external mercy. I'm a quick gauge to to tell if you're actually uh, kind or if you're nice. How often do you tell people hard things? How often do you tell people the truth? When they're in sin, when they're off in some area, how often do you directly tell them what's true? Do you shy away from it? When people ask you for feedback, do you sugarcoat it? Almost to the point where you're like gutting it of the whole truth and you're just saying vague and generic things that really aren't that helpful. I think a lot of times we think that's being kind and compassionate But in fact, a lot of the times, it's being cowardly and unloving. We really miss this one. Uh, Jesus was the most kind person to have ever lived, and he said some of the most hard things ever. He said really true and direct things to the Pharisees and to his disciples often. Honesty is not opposed to kindness. It's an integral part of it. Um, Either way, through withholding mercy or by faking it, we end in the same place. We're bitter. We end in the same exact place. A bitterness is a clear work of the flesh. This isn't just a psychological thing. It's a sin thing. Let me show you how. Galatians 5.19, we've come back here a good bit. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, and highlighted enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. I highlighted those intentionally because they're all fruits of bitterness. They're all symptoms. Bitterness will rule in our hearts without the power and the presence of Jesus because you will be hurt. We will get hurt. It may be small, it may be big, but it will happen. And without the power and presence of Jesus, we will grow bitter. But we have another response. The way of Jesus shows us that we have another option besides growing bitter when we're hurt. And that's to show kindness. Kindness. So let's talk about kindness. Kindness is the counter-conditional love of God displayed in our thoughts, words, and actions. If bitterness looks like being actively resentful and angry to those who have hurt us, then kindness looks like actively seeking to treat others as we'd like to be treated. Uh, Meaning a kindness as a posture, it's not dependent on your circumstances. It's not dependent on whether uh, somebody was nice to you or treated you well. In fact, kindness is best displayed when you're hurt, when somebody has sinned against you, when they've harmed you, because kindness is directly connected to the character of God. Often in the scriptures, um, the word for kindness uh, is translated from the Hebrew word hesed. 
said, uh, it gets translated a bunch of different ways. Um, so we get love, we get patience, we get generosity and mercy. Um, but I think one of the, the translations that really hits it the best comes one of the older ones. It's this phrase, loving kindness, the loving kindness of God. So when, when God acts in his said, or loving kindness, it means that God is being faithful to his covenant promises. That's what it means in the scriptures. So it means he's paying careful attention to our needs, to the needs of his people. He's acting in generous love and mercy and providing for us. And he does this in spite of his people, in spite of their sin committed to him over and over again. Tim hit on this last week, but the Israelites, it's a great example, constantly sinning against God. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're seeing miracles. They literally walk through a sea to freedom from slavery. And immediately they're like, well, we had better food there. And then uh, they, uh, Moses leaves for a couple days, and then they build another God. And God responds with hesed, with loving kindness, constantly responding this way. Uh, God acting in hesed, it shows us, it paints us a picture of a God who gently shepherds us, responding graciously when we constantly fall short and faithfully stays true to what he has promised. This is key because all of the kindness that we're called to show, it's not something that we muster up out of, it, out of nowhere. It comes from the kindness that God has showed us. So when we're hurt, we respond by extending mercy because that's what God has done to us. We respond in light of who God is. The result is not bitterness. It's healing this is the, the response that Jesus actually pushes us to, to respond with his said, the same way that God responds to us. Kindness instead of bitterness, to love those who mistreat us, who hurt us, who harm us. Jesus, um, he's going to give us a clear framework for what this actually looks like. He gets really practical with how we're supposed to do this. So we're going to flip over to Luke chapter 6. I told you we'd finally get there. And we're going to unpack three distinct ways that Jesus tells us to show kindness to those who mistreat us. And I'll, and I'll be up front with you. Um, you're going to think those are kind of all the same things. And that's exactly true. Jesus uh, is really repetitive in these verses. And that's intentional because it's incredibly difficult to actually do these things and to understand them. So we got three categories, and they're roughly the same thing. I hope you're ready for it. How we're supposed to show kindness to those who mistreat us. So hop in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. It says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Skip to verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. It's the first way that we're supposed, uh, we're called to show kindness to those who mistreat us, and that's by blessing our enemies. Blessing our enemies. So a little bit of context for these verses. Uh, Jesus is in the middle of preaching the Sermon on the Mount. It's his longest sermon recorded in the Gospels. Uh, the heart of it is it's a description of what life in God's kingdom is supposed to look like. He says, this is what the blessed life is, what a life of flourishing is. 
in the middle of this sermon, as he's unpacking life in the kingdom, he talks a lot about relationships. And here he spends a lot of time talking about relating to those who hurt us, who mistreat us. And at the heart of it is love, kindness, to love our enemies. We're to show kindness to those who hate us, who mistreat us, who accuse us, who take from us, who even abuse us. These are some really hard words from Jesus because these are some of the hardest experiences in life. Um, I know many of us have actually been abused. We've experienced real hurt at the hands of others. I think it's important to know that, that God sees you, that God loves you. Uh, we love you. We care for you. We want to be a part of, of helping you process and taking steps. Um, sometimes the Bible is really hard. Sometimes it's really difficult to hear what's actually true and what's there. Sometimes it comes across as strange. Um, right here, Jesus uh, is talking to people that are going to be killed for their faith. They're going to be beaten. They're going to have to uh, move uh, countries because of their faith. And the call is, is the same. It's to love. It's to pray for. It's to show kindness to those who have even abused us. To trade a blessing for a curse. Biblically, a, a blessing is the bestowing of privilege or rights or responsibility or favor upon some portion of creation by God or one who he has blessed. So blessing those who mistreat us is taking an action to seek their good, even when they don't deserve it, even when they deserve the opposite, to seek their good, their happiness, their prospering. It means uh, praying for them, encouraging them when they don't deserve it, and serving them. So uh, if you're like me and you have a friend who doesn't want anything to do with you anymore, it means praying for them every day. Praying for their flourishing. Not like a God, thank you I'm not them and petty. But no, praying that they would know God, that they would come to love Him more deeply. Uh, when your boss scolds you over something small, and you're just sick and tired of him, it still means seeking their good, praying for them. When your kid has zero appreciation for anything you do to keep them alive, it means not withholding, not disengaging, seeking their good, encouraging them, and correcting them gently. When, uh, when a person takes a cheap shot at you, assuming something that's not even fair or correct about you, it means we don't do the same. We don't assume the worst about them. We pray for them. We seek their good. We respond with respect and grace. This is what blessing our enemies looks like on a micro level. So the first way we show kindness to those who mistreat us is by loving them, by loving our enemies. we got two more. Hop back in verse 29. It says, To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lead to sinners to get, the, get back the same amount. Second way that we respond with kindness is by turning the other cheek. 
turning the other cheek. These are really hard words from Jesus again. Where he's saying when somebody strikes you, when somebody insults you, when they take from you, you're called to respond with generosity and non-resistance. When people sin against us, we can, we can react. We can seek to get even with them. Or we can withhold. We can choose not to resist. It's our third option. We can turn the other cheek and respond with kindness and forgiveness. Uh, I was reading an author this week, and he said it like this. Uh, t- turning the other cheek is, taking a, is making a choice to be wounded rather than to wound. It's a huge part of this is that in Christ, we would see what he's already done for us and we would take the posture voluntarily of being wounded, of being wounded rather than getting even or being right. This, this doesn't make sense, right? doesn't make sense. It's a really countercultural statement by Jesus and we may be tempted to find the line. It's like, where's the out? What's the thing that allows me to be like, no, I don't have to do that. I think there's certainly nuance to all this. And I'm happy to talk about all of it. But what you have to know is that this is the rule, not the exception. This is the rule, not the exception. And that's because these words are tied to the heart of the gospel. That uh, by laying down his preferences, his comfort, that God would save us. And that by doing the same, that we would be a part of giving glory to God. Um, Recently, or I guess about a year ago, I was reading um, a testimony of a, of a missionary named Jim Elliott. And uh, Jim Elliott, uh, he was alive in the, I guess, mid-1900s, and he uh, felt called to be a missionary to uh, an unreached uh, Indian tribe in Ecuador. Uh, they were thought to be violent, but he and four other missionaries moved there uh, all the same. In 1955, they arrived, they started flying their airplane over the camp, and they would uh, drop gifts uh, on, on the tribe for about three months. Uh, they felt like it was going in a great direction. And they set up a base camp in early 1956. About a week after they had actually set up camp, they, they made a friendly encounter. And the next day they uh, decided they were going to try to actually go to the village and hand out Bibles and preach the gospel, hopefully. On his way to the camp, him and all uh, four missionaries, they were killed. They were killed... Um, with spears, they were found a couple days later. He left um, his wife and his young daughter. Um, his wife, Elizabeth, um, responded in a way that you wouldn't think. She uh, had every right to pray for curses, uh, that God would deal justly with them, but she didn't do that. She began learning the language, and she eventually moved there less than two years later. She translated Bibles for them and lived among them and preached the gospel and multiple people became Christians. I think this is a crazy story. I can't comprehend it. I, think, I actually think that she might be a, a fool for doing that. Like if somebody was telling me, oh yeah, I'm going to move down to Ecuador, they killed my husband, I'd be like, no, don't do that. But the church is built on stories like this. The church is built on the martyrs and people that laid down their lives. I don't think we get this. I don't. Uh, The basis for turning the other cheek 
by, by laying down your life like this is by seeing that it's exactly what Jesus has done for us. It's exactly what Jesus has done for us. It's the heart of the gospel that uh, Jesus on the cross would look out at the people He created who are now nailing Him to a cross, jeering at Him, spitting on Him, and pray for them and for us, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they do. Uh, How many times has Jesus turned the other cheek for you and me? It's just unfathomable. You can't count it. And how quick am I, how quick are we to anger? To wanting to get even. To hold on to resentment and bitterness. We have to remember Jesus on the cross. Seeing that He's praying for you, for them, for me. I, I don't know about you, but I need to show people this type of grace. Who do you need to show it to? Next time you're, you're frustrated over somebody's sin or immaturity, they just can't get it right. And you have the answer, obviously. What, what would it look like to not gossip about them or speak poorly of them, but to actually pray for them, to encourage them? Uh, what, what would it look like the next time a friend makes a joke that's just inappropriate and hurts your feelings to actually go out of your way to pray and encourage them? Or next time you find out that somebody's gossiping about you, what if you intentionally spoke well of them? Actually, I heard a quote this week that I think uh, I need to hear, and I think a lot of us do as well. It says, uh, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. That might be your next tattoo. I don't know. Maybe me. Uh, When we see how God looks at us, as his kids, as his friends in need of a Savior, we can start to do the same for other people. But it has to start there. We can resist bitterness and continue to love and serve others because of what God has done for us. First way, we show kindness by blessing our enemies. Second way is by turning the other cheek. Hop back verse 36, we'll see the last. It says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Third point, show mercy. Show mercy. Bitterness would tell us to uh, respond by taking an eye for an eye. It would, uh, that we should get even, that we should cut them off, that we should label them a certain way. Kindness tells us to treat our enemies the way we would treat a friend. I think, uh, I think a huge problem that we have with kindness and with bitterness and with turning the other cheek, all this stuff, if we actually thought about it, is it doesn't seem fair. It's not fair. They were wrong. They hurt us. And I think in a lot of ways that's true. It's not fair. Um, I, I I picked on it earlier, and we pick on it a lot when we preach, but things like cancel culture and labeling people as toxic, we pick on it a lot. But I think if you actually zoomed in and said, what's so appealing about this? It's pretty simple. It appeals to our sense and our need for justice. That when something's wrong, it needs to be called out. We need to do something about it. This is evil. We want to be seen. We want someone to fight for us. The Bible talks about this a lot. And it's a key piece for how we understand all of this. This is how Paul talks about it in Romans 12. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 
To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. According to the Bible, God sees evil. He sees uh, that it matters. And he uh, has executed, is executing, and will execute perfect justice forever, either uh, now on the cross when you trust in Jesus or for eternity in hell. That's the categories. That is why we're able to never avenge ourselves and to turn the other cheek and to feed our enemies and act honorably to those who hurt us because God says it's his job, not ours. This, uh, this actually frees you to love your enemy even if they never repent. Even if they never apologize to you. Even if they never send you a text or ask you to coffee and say, hey, I really messed that up. Actually, uh, the opposite. If to their grave they say that you were wrong and you're the problem. So if you're waiting for your enemy to repent or to change or for time to pass, for you to get to a certain place before you forgive, then you're wrong. Then you're wrong. Because God's command to love your enemy isn't based on circumstances or contingencies. There is not an out. It's on the basis that he will... one day finally serve ultimate justice. And when you know that, when you know the surety of it, it's what frees you to love your enemies. Justice uh, demands a price. It will be on the cross for eternity, and we deserve to pay it. We deserve to pay that price. Forgiveness is costly. Kindness is costly. But it actually leads to freedom. Tim Keller talks about it this way. He says, once you have been wronged and you realize there is a just debt that cannot, can't simply be dismissed, there are only two things to do. The first option is to seek ways to make the perpetrator suffer for what they have done. There is another option, however. You can forgive. Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so with all your being is agony, is a form of suffering. You not only suffer for the original loss of happiness, reputation, and opportunity, but now you forgo the consolation of inflicting the same on them. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. It hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. Yes, but it is a death that leads to a resurrection instead of the lifelong living death of bitterness and cynicism. I want to read this again, this one part. It says, forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. That's at the heart of all three points. Refusing to make them pay for what they did. That is the heart of the gospel. It's trading bitterness for kindness. We, we were God's enemies. We were God's enemies, and he made us his friends, his children. He absorbed our debt, and he died so that we could live. The only way for us to actually do the same is to see it, to see what he's done for us. The reason we can turn the other cheek is because Jesus turned the other cheek. The reason uh, that we can love our enemies, bless them, pray for them, is because Jesus did that for us first. Titus 3 uh, says it this way. We'll end here. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, 
but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In our sin, we cursed him. In our sin, we were his enemies. We hated him. We abused him. We struck him. And Jesus responded with his said. By being the loving kindness of God, he went to the cross when it should have been us. We should have been there. We should have been paying for eternity. And Jesus, the loving kindness of God, saved us to become heirs so that we could show the same loving kindness to those who have hurt us and to everybody around us. We'll end uh, the same way. We've ended every week by talking about uh, our grace and grit practices. Um, so you should have a little handout in your bulletin. Uh, this week, we're going we're gonna to do two things. We're going to do uh, a Lectio Divina. It's really just an a older, fancy uh, way to meditate on, on Scripture. So I would actually encourage you to meditate on what I just read from Titus 3. It's Titus 3, 4 through 7. Um, many of us struggle with, with bitterness and with kindness because we actually don't see God's kindness for us. So actually, we're going to start this week by seeing God's grace and his kindness towards us. And then secondly, we're going to respond in obedience to what, what Jesus has called us to do. We're going to pray for our enemies. We're going to pray for our enemies. Someone who's hurt you recently in the past, be family, friends, somebody in our church, somebody in an old church. We're going to pray for them. We're going to take a, a step in obedience and both meditate on God's kindness and pray for those who have hurt us. Let me pray for us. And we'll transition into a time of singing. Father God, we, we are thankful that you did not give us what we deserve. We deserved the opposite of loving kindness. We, we deserved condemnation and your bitterness. But you did the opposite, Lord. And the cross for us, you laid down your life You've blessed us, turned the other cheek, and you've showed us mercy and kindness. We thank you for that. God, we need help. Help us to see where we're actually bitter, where we need to repent. Help us to see what you've done for us first and let us go do the same in light of what you've done for us. Spirit, change our hearts. Yeah, we thank you for your kindness. Pray it all in your name, Jesus. Amen.